This episode will cover topics that may be triggering for some people. These topics may include emotional and physical abuse. Please be aware before listening that you may need to stop and seek help. Welcome to our podcast, Through Thick and Three Decades, a podcast about two mates, gymnastics, coaching, parenting and life, where we open up about our real life experiences and share our stories, the good, the bad, and of course, the unfiltered. Welcome everyone to episode two. We are back. Um, We are super excited because um, we actually were just a little bit nervous to release that first one so it's good it's good that it's out there and we are just excited to continue our story and um have a whole bunch of listeners come along for the journey yeah and i have to apologize to kirsty because this is actually take three (laughs) of this (laughs) because we recorded one and the background noise was quite bad so then we recorded it again and unfortunately (laughs) I deleted that while editing and could not for the life of me work out how to get it back. So um, here we are again. We are super cool with our technology. We know <laughs> so what we're doing. So fancy and up to yeah. date. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so today's episode, um, we are really going to be talking about our schedules at the AIS and what our day-to-day life was like. Um, I was 10 years old at the time. When did you start at the AIS? I think I was about 14 yeah so from age 10 for me uh, my day-to-day life I lived with my parents well my parent my mum and my sister and so for me it looked like getting up and being at training before seven o'clock so I generally would get up most mornings probably not eat a lot of breakfast or any breakfast at all Um, and mum would drop me off at I'd have to be there at 20 to 7 I hated being late because of the effects that it would have on you um, if you rocked up to training late um, from the coach's point of view. We would train until 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, We would get our school gear on, get changed, grab a bite to eat, and we'd wait for the school bus. So basically the school bus was other AIS athletes (laughs) (laughs) who would um, pick us up in a little minibus, they'd drive us to school, we'd all get dropped off, so the primary school kids at primary and then the high school kids and college kids after us. Uh, We went to school, got to school by about 11.30, maybe sometimes a bit later, quarter to 12, just really depending on how the morning went and flowed. And we would do school, we'd finish at three, we'd get picked back up, quarter past three, we'd be back in the gym back in our training leotards and all that sort of stuff and then we would train until generally 7 seven thirty at night there were occasions plenty of occasions where that didn't happen and we trained later uh, mum would pick me up and i'd go home i'd have dinner shower and pretty much jump into bed and do that for the next gosh hour, like week yeah. um the only difference was wednesdays wednesday we had wednesday morning off which was always really cool um, and we trained Saturdays, 8 a.m. until generally 12, 12.30. Um, leading up to the Olympics, that became a two-session Saturday, which was an absolute 
Was a nightmare, right? It was it, that was really hard, and then we just had Sunday off, and then back into it. So the amount of training that I like we did at that time was generally equivalent to a full time working position. Well, so it was it was actually forty two hours a week, wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. That that's more than a full time <clears throat> working position. Plus, we went to school. Yeah. So yeah, we did. That was a lot of training. It was, it was, and I like I didn't realize at the time because. You know, you have your goals, you want to be there, you want to train, and that sort of stuff didn't start sinking in with me until later on when I probably left the institute and, you know, was a teenager and, you know, just getting into the workforce and that sort of stuff, thinking, wow, I used to, like, I used to train that much, mm. as much as what I am working a full-time job, yeah, wow. plus all the other stuff um, that we had to do around it. So, yeah, so that was my living. So mum would drop me off in the morning. And pick me up at night time and we did that six days a week and that's you know that that was it like that's that's as much as I saw my family and my my sister like sibling um yeah because we saw each other more than we, we saw did. anyone right <laughs> yeah absolutely spent more time together yeah, and, and, and our coaches even to the point where you know you so many times let slip instead of saying you know, your coach's name would be, hey, dad. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hang on a second. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that's what life looked like for me, um, living at home, my home schedule. But I know for you living in resis, it was a little bit different. You guys had a little bit more. Well, it, well, that, yours, your life was pretty structured and um, so was ours. Mm. Um, and I think from memory, I think we used to get woken up at 5.45, get ready, um, go to the dining hall, go to the training hall yeah. for four hours, go to school, back to the training hall, to the dining hall, to the study hall, <laughs> home, shower, bed. Because yes. we lived in um, the residence there and it was called Junior Resis. Um, when I first got there, Junior Resis was with all of the other athletes. Yeah. So we had yeah. gymnasts as young as seven living in there. Remember that young girl yeah. from Darwin? Yeah. Beautiful young girl. <laughs> Um, as young as seven to uh, I think there was 16 or 17 year olds um, and then the male gymnasts as well that were a little bit older than us but we used to live under the swimmers so the swimmers were above us and junior resis were sort of down downstairs in the bunkers yes (laughs) yeah Um, so the schedule was you know just back to back but on weekends we certainly had a lot of fun Mm. um, in in the halls of residence with with the other athletes and and each other yeah I mean there was a few times where I came and stayed with you guys like there were event like things we'd organize like going to the movies or whatever yeah um, which was really cool and then we would sneak out and go and do other stuff um sneak out <laughs> so <laughs> sneaky <laughs> um, we'd go out and yeah jump fences and go and try and watch the Raiders games and stuff like yeah. that because there was all the big stadiums are there um, the Canberra Stadium and yeah. stuff like and that. we so never paid for cool. a Raiders game right we no. would just <laughs> keep Kip cast yeah. over the security bars and yeah. um, step over them and out through the bushes and watch, yeah. watch the games and we used, to, we used to play like oh, what do we call it we, I don't know it was kind of like a we used to run around like it was parkour. It was parkour. Parkour was, was gonna, a thing. Was yeah, we just used to run around and like slide down concrete posts and huge posts. Over things and yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And, and that, that they really were good. meters above the ground, like mm. they they were high. And that little young girl from Darwin, she used to do everything with us, and she was <laughs> tiny. Um, uh, and then on 
other occasions you would come and stay at my place yeah um, and I think probably for the last six months I just went there every weekend and your mum would just ring up resis and say oh yeah Jade's mum said she can stay, she over, can stay which, over which we didn't even ask my mum yeah. we just and initially we did we did yeah. ask your mum and then it was just <laughs> like yeah just come on over so we used to have a hoop um Oh, cooking up pizzas oh, and pizzas, yeah. <laughs> All everything you can imagine. Big cracked egg in the middle. <clears throat> movies. We watched a lot of movies, didn't we? And yeah. we did a lot of. Uh, was it like because the the area that I lived in at that time was kind of like a new build area, so there was um, lots of vacant blocks and things like that. Yeah, so empty streets, hills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had a billy cart. I think my dad had made it or something and it was in the garage so we used to take that and try and yeah not die on, no, the, on the billy cart die. which is really fun if the coaches really saw good. us imagine how much trouble we would have been in flying down there with no brakes, no brakes. just no praying brakes. that no cars yeah, the were brakes coming. were our shoes that was fun <laughs> yeah. and then i remember dinking no i didn't dink you we tied it up to the to my bike and I was pulling you along on the bike and you got speed wobbles really <laughs> I do remember coming off and I had my AIS jacket on. Remember those jackets? Yes. Shoulder to floor length. Yes. And yeah. they had sheep's wool. In the inside. Yeah. yeah, yeah they were so the warm, but I yeah. tore a massive hole in it and um, I had to ask for another one. And I was like, what's happened here? Devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been demo. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, so our day-to-day life, really was completely consumed yeah which is i think all things gymnastics yeah and we loved it right yeah imagine doing your favorite thing in the world all day every day with all your mates Mm. like that that aspect was fantastic yeah and And the privilege the the privilege of of being able to be there and i think at the time being young like that really stood out to me like you were there with all these other athletes it was such a privilege to be a scholarship holder and, yeah. and all the, and everything that went along with that for sure um, and we, we truly were surrounded by excellence right and not just athletes but lots of other sports the sports scientists the sports doctors the best in the world yeah. at, in their field you re, like your, your masseurs and all of that sort of stuff like we would be surrounded by that but at the same time, that really, um, I guess, was enhanced, wasn't it? Like that whole, all the all the good stuff was really good, but then all the stuff that was really hard for us, we just, it was c- completely consuming. For sure. <clears throat> so so the, the number one thing truly was our weight, right? Yeah. yeah. So as we spoke about, you wake up in the morning at 5.45, the first thing on your mind was, what is your body weight? And why was that? Yeah. Were they weight? What were they? They were weighing us we once we, or twice we a day, go, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like you'd show up at training and like I said originally, I had to be there early. You had to be there early, one, because you needed to go to the toilet five times possibly if your weight wasn't the right weight. You needed to get on the scales before the coaches pulled you in or the coach pulled you in to be on the yeah. scales. Um, and then... Also, you had to line up at 7 o'clock. And if you weren't in that door at 7 o'clock, you were chastised pretty much. For sure. You know, in front of everyone. And that was never – it was never, well, my mum couldn't get me here on time or my brother couldn't drive me all Yeah. It was nothing like that. Nothing was acceptable. It was your fault. Yeah. Um, And I think that, yeah. So we were totally consumed. Yeah, wake up in the morning, breakfast or not, usually not. (laughs) 
Yeah, because we were being weighed. As a, as a 10 and 11 year old kid, like that, that sort of thing is really hard for me to even just as a, from a parenting side of things, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. well, let's get into it. So, so the, the pressure came from this sort of 300 gram rule yeah. and the sort of pressure to be the same weight all the time. Yeah. So the 300 gram rule was if you weighed in at a certain weight one day or one weigh in, the next weigh in, you couldn't be 300 grams more than your previous weigh in. Or there were various things that we had to do. Sometimes you would just chastise and and, um, you had a terrible training session because they would just, or they wouldn't talk to you for the entire training session. Yeah. Um, Sometimes some girls would have to do like a strength training session to sweat out the weight. Yeah, um, I, I definitely 100% have to do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, especially lead up into Olympics. Um, but early days, I kind of felt like I got under the radar quite a little, like quite a bit, because I was quite muscular for a gymnast. Um, too tall, far too tall. I was chastised for that. And unflexible most days, you know, you it was spoken about. Um, but in terms of weight... I felt like I was quite lucky but then I mean like you were petite you were tiny and in Queensland you you know coming from Queensland like before you came to the AIS had you ever stepped on it no our coach didn't a scale like from as far as I can remember our coach didn't weigh us and if we were weighed there was certainly no comment made to me if if we were weighed so I don't Mm. remember being weighed by him because there was never a sort of impactful event at all event yeah um, yeah, but AIS days, definitely we'd get there, weigh ourselves, usually the afternoons after we got back from school, same sort of thing again. Um, I remember one instance where there was a gymnast and we hadn't had morning training on the Wednesday, which was always so good. Like yeah. I loved Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning I would have breakfast. Yeah, because we could eat, right? Because we could eat. So we always yeah. had a good training session on Wednesday afternoon because we had food in our bellies. Yeah and more energy to burn and all that sort of stuff. And I remember we were doing ballet and coaches walked in and they just completely, like for for a 14 or 15 year old kid, just chastised her and the comments made about her belly being too I can't, big. I, can, and I, can, I know exactly what you're talking about and who you're talking about. And that day impacted me so greatly mm, as well. I remember that just, and I just thought, oh my God, there's no way that like that, I, I don't want that to happen to me. Mm. And so, uh, and that happened right from very early days for me. So I was 10 when I started there. So hearing those things, even though I wasn't overweight and I didn't generally have a lot of problems in the early days, that impacts you. Hearing what is said to all the other girls, watching how they react, having to like see them at school not eat or throw sandwiches sure. in the bin or do you know what I mean and then those sorts of things become the normal for us like that was normal for us you know um seeing that sort of behavior hearing those sorts of things you know like skinny fat girls and you've got buller bellies and you know all of that sort of stuff I think that that really um consumed us for sure <laughs> like when we came we had to move down. Um, if we wanted to be an Olympian, we had to train at the AAS. That's what we were told. Mm-hmm. We came with our personal coach. So in the first while, we were protected from that. Yeah, yeah. We were weighed. Our weight was written down daily, but there was never any, you have to go and do this. 
you're this. Mm. Um, we never got in too much trouble like you guys did. Yeah, yeah. But then my coach and my other teammates left and I stayed on scholarship at the AIS and that's sort of where I fell into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Not, not with the coaches but just with the overwhelming fear of being in trouble yeah. and um, not wanting to be one of those kids that was constantly in trouble or getting everyone else in, in trouble because yeah. it was never let's to be clear we were getting in trouble i was getting in trouble other people were getting in trouble for being 36 kilos yeah and they were 15 that's i was just gonna say yeah <laughs> like, like i was the tallest gymnast um on the olympic team and I weighed 45 kilos. And, and the lead up to that, I had to stay under 45 kilos or I had to go and do strength training. And that happened for a number of weeks, maybe even months leading up to the Olympics because I was injured. And, you know, now it just doesn't make sense in my head. Why on earth would you, like, beat a kid down when this kid was already down? You know, yeah, like, yeah. so it, it just was, didn't, was not useful at all. Um, long term but that used to be really hard like I had to I just stopped eating so yeah. much yeah. back then and I wouldn't tell my parent, like my mum I wouldn't no. tell my parents um, and mum would just be like oh you know you don't want any dinner tonight no no I'm good I'm like had a big lunch at school or, or I bought something from the tuck shop which was a bullshit lie yeah. and that sort of yeah. stuff but yeah no I think um yeah, we were we were little. Like we you were, were petite, so we were little. tiny. Like we did skin folds as well, monthly skin folds. Yeah. So we're weighing twice a day, monthly skin folds. Our skin folds had to be under over seven sites. No, seven sites. It was under forty. Was it? I think it, under, over seven sites you had to be under thirty-seven. Or eight, thirty-seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's right. And we did thirty-seven millimeters. Sometimes we did eights. We did the eight site, but that was a, a you know only on rare occasions and you had to be under that to be on the national team right yeah so you and I never had any issues being under that but one of my other close mates she did mm. and um they made up a nickname for her she was called the skinny fat girl because she was so skinny and but they called her fat for being over 37 millimeters over seven, over seven sides yeah. that's like my leg now <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. yeah yeah, that's my, my granny arm. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, it, because of these, the nicknames, the constant berating, the being fearful of having to do extra training before you could start your four-hour training program, there were behaviours that when I first started, I was like, why are these girls weighing themselves like 10 times a training session? What are yep. they doing? Like how much is their weight going to change from... 7am till 11am and what does that matter mm. and I quickly learned why that mattered mm. and the more you could lose during a training session the more you could eat at school right yeah yeah and so that became everything it was all consuming your body weight was everything and imagine that an elite athlete who's training 40 plus hours a week where you've got to try and concentrate on what you're doing. 13 years old. Yep. <laughs> but all you're thinking about is your body weight and not mm. getting in trouble. Yeah. And at the same time, starving and constantly thirsty. And wanting to achieve that goal. And, you know, wanting to be there. Like, you wanted to be there, so you did 
what it takes, yeah. so to speak. And we and were told that's what it that's took. That's what it took. Yeah, that's right. And and you you just mentioned, and we haven't spoken about it, but um, the constantly thirsty. So there were behaviours that you picked up. I picked them up pretty quick. I um, was the going to the bubbler during training. I would just count the sips of water I had. So like I would only allow myself a certain amount so you know yeah. I've done you know I've done my three floor routines I'm like yes done my three floor routines I can have three sips of water yeah you know that that sort yeah. of thing because you're like great that's fine I've worked hard enough or whatever I'm, I'm allowing myself you now deserve a three sip of sips water. of water absolutely and there were things that um I think you used to do with like spitting <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you remember that. But there were many things that we all used to do, right? Yeah. But because because we were kids and the, the only thing we were told is this is your body weight and you need to stay there, we did whatever we could, mm. whatever we could think of in our yeah. brains, our 13, 14-year-old <laughs> brains, yeah. to not put on weight. And for me it was don't drink water. So I didn't drink water. And don't swallow your saliva. Hmm. Yeah. So I would just accumulate saliva in my mouth and then every now and then look like I'm going to get a drink or go to the toilet and I'd go and spit it out. Yeah, yeah. I'm just accumulating mine now thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Which is and, ridiculous, and right? And there were so many other... Um, I, can, I, I can just sort of... I, I can imagine our listeners going, but what, like... Why would you guys do that? And really, there, there was no education around this for us. There was no education around it for our parents either. Now, I know that we've said, yes, we had access to the best doctors and nutritionists and physios. But what we found in our time there, that there was no link between them and the coaches a hundred percent and the expectations the coaches had on us versus what they like I went to the nutritionist once it was because I had low iron and basically I thought my mum was getting into trouble for what she was feeding me Mm. Um, so I just tried to make up a big lie about what she was feeding me so mum didn't get into trouble that's what I was worried about right you know mum getting in trouble there was no adult at that appointment I was 10 or 11 I think at that time it was fairly early days and on top of that, like, my mum and dad had no education whatsoever. Like, I've just been involved with my daughter doing some QAS stuff for the 2032 Olympics. And we've had two clinics where parents have been invited. We've heard from other parents of Olympians and high elite athletes. We've been involved in nutrition and it was us with our kids. It wasn't just them versus us. Like, we learn something, they learn something. Yeah. It was, okay, we're learning this together. Um, and that, I was just so happy. I just I just couldn't believe it. And I just thought, gosh, if we had that back when we were... But could we have had it, though? No. Like, thinking about it, right? No. So uh, we had access to the best, some of the best in their field, sports scientists, sports doctors, sports dietitians. And, like, I went to see a sports dietitian. She's now world-renowned. I had really low skin fold and I needed to put on body fat. I was drinking maybe 200 mils of water a day. Seriously. Mm. And she said, you've, you've, we're going to give you sustagen. You've got to drink it with more than 200 mils. Milk. Of milk. milk. It was like maybe 300 yeah. mils, something like that, 400 mils of milk. 
And you've got to do this, you've got to do it every day. Because we need to get your body fat up because you're sick, you're always injured, da 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 right? Couldn't possibly be that mm. I wasn't eating, but... So, I got this sausage in, and the link between... Okay, I understand what you're saying as a sports dietitian, but you have no idea that I can't put on more than 300 grams. Yeah. Because that's all that matters to me is the 300 grams. Because you get into trouble, and you don't want to get into trouble because you want to be there and you want to achieve your goals, and if you get into trouble, that leads to... And I'm not going to be on the Australian team. Yeah. So... I'm not going to drink sausage and with 300 mils of milk when I'm not even drinking 200 mils of water. Yeah. And that's, and not just that, there were sports scientists, there were sports doctors that were saying, right, you need to have two weeks off this, you need to have months off this, you need never. to, and, and we never had it. The no. doctor, our, our coaches were like, nah, I don't really agree with that. And we would just train. Yeah. I always felt as though they had had a conversation with our coach and some of the decisions made were based off what the coach had said, not based off of what would be beneficial sure. for the athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's many people who understand what I'm talking about when we, we yeah. have those conversations. What, what mattered most was the coach's opinion, not yeah. not the specialists. Yeah, there w- there was one time where I was pulled into the room and and they gave me some options and I chose, I got to choose. Yeah, but. That was, you know, the one the one time um, that I had that opportunity. But the rest of the time, it was always very much just coach led with what whatever the doctors and staff were saying. So, yeah, that was um, that was always that was really really difficult, I yeah. guess, in terms of like there was loads of times where you like I had a stress fracture for forever in my foot. I came back from the Olympics and they put me in a cast for seven weeks. I still had a stress fracture at the end of it and you know just because I'd trained on it and there was no healing process yeah. prior to to you know that yeah. amount of time and, and then stuff. probably so, also not not um, consuming the nutrition you need to help your body heal itself mm, yeah yeah uh, yeah definitely not <laughs> no the skin fold of under god I think it was like 28 yeah millimeters there for ages so I definitely had no body fat whatsoever and um the consequences of that also you know for nutritional for sure is is big because you also had no body fat and they wanted you to lose weight or maintain the same weight even though you're growing the only option was that you had to lose muscle mass right yeah yeah and I mean like the way (laughs) yeah yeah, so you're trying to you're trying to get stronger, but you're not getting stronger. You're going nowhere. Yeah. You're just flooring out. But um, I kind of want to come back to a little bit of some of the things that we used to do in order to manage our weight. And this one was always really interesting because I thought, you know, and not until years later when we started discussing this, I didn't realise what everyone else was doing. Um, but I used to, especially around that time when I had to stay under 45 kilos, I thought, shit, how am I going to be able to have something to eat but also stay under yeah. for the next day? Because it was hell for me. Like if I got up and I was over 45 kilos, say I was 45 and a half kilos, I'd have to lose 500 grams before I was allowed to start my training program. So I was already behind the eight ball. Yeah. And on top of that, like you just like the energy lost in doing that and then having to perform your actual proper training program properly. And you weren't consuming water. So it's very hard to sweat, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I would go home and 
I would put on like three or four tracksuits mm. and I'd turn my electric blanket on high and I'd stick an extra blanket on my bed and it was just like my sleep time sauna. Yeah. I would just, it'd be like a sauna. Um, and I don't, like, I can't even remember. Like, I just know that I didn't want to get into trouble. Mm. I wanted to do, like, my program. I didn't want to have to do extra strength. Mm. And so you just did whatever you could. Um and so I didn't realise, though, this, like I said, but you used to do something as well. And some of the, you know... I did so many things, <laughs> I did so many things. Um, well, you mentioned breakfast. Yeah. So I wouldn't eat breakfast. Or if I... Because what I could do by... Me- I'd measure my own body weight if I didn't have scales. I'd put my heels up against the wall. Yeah. Relax my stomach. Yeah. And... Depending on this, my friend taught me how to do this. Depending on where your stomach sits on your foot, oh yeah, I would be either up or Or down. down. So scientific, and then I would have a plain piece of toast or a piece of toast with honey on it. So the honey would give me some sugar and give me a little bit of energy or sort of that's that's what I thought. Um, When when you were in resis and going to the dining hall and stuff like that, would you guys go by yourself? No, we always had a house parent sitting with us. Yeah, okay. And in fact, um, I was like the golden child in terms of my food, my food choices. So many colours on my plate. I also always had lettuce. Yeah. And so many colours on my plate and lettuce. I just put colours on my plate. I hated lettuce. Who would eat lettuce? With tomato sauce, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> No, no friend of mine. <laughs> um, but the lettuce leaf was to cover everything I wasn't going to eat. Mm. And, and it was never picked up on, but I was applauded for my colourful plate. Mm. Um, but there were so many beautiful foods at the AIS dining hall. Yeah. Roast dinners, fish and chi- every food you could Orange imagine. Juice Curries. In the oh, <laughs> the breakfasts were amazing. They were just a whole. Bistro. Buffet. Buffet, all <laughs> you can buffet. eat, everything yeah. you can think of for breakfast. Every cereal, every kind of milk, juice, apple juice. And I always thought to myself, when I get out of here, yeah, I'm like a jail, <laughs> I'm going to drink apple juice every day of my life. Um, I'm still waiting for the apple juice. But, <laughs> but that's how thirsty and just... It's just apple juice. Yeah. And I really wanted the apple juice. But, um, you know, we, we did some crazy things and we had some crazy thoughts like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember going to school or going to resis, I would walk fast everywhere I went, trying to lose more weight yeah. so I could eat more, so I'd have more energy for training. Yeah. Because I thought that's like what, what I needed to do. That makes sense. I would also, and this is very extreme, but I would sleep in Gladrap. Mm. Yeah, see that, that's... Yeah. It's like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. But I just thought I need... And so I didn't know you were sleeping in tracksuits in a... Um, <laughs> sauna, my little mini sauna. In your little sauna. Yeah. But I was sleeping in Gladrap, yeah. trying to make myself sweat. And even if it didn't lose weight, I don't know if it did, I felt like I was missing out on that opportunity if I wasn't doing it. Doing something, yeah. So I just did it. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was working or not, but I just did it. 
Hot showers. Hot steam, showers. Steam yep. in the hot showers. So yep. I, that's exactly what I would do. Yep. They always had a little ledge in their shower. Mm. So I would put the hot water on as hot as it would go and I'd stand up on the little ledge. Yeah. And I'd just do steps <laughs> on the ledge, just yep. trying to exercise and sweat more. Wow. And, and I'd be there 15 to 30 minutes, depending on what I thought my body weight was. Um, it just every like, night it's still like I know I know these stories and I've heard these stories and you know we lived through them but still like taking myself outside of that and listening to that and just thinking wow like yeah because we, we were just under so hell. much pressure yeah and it just it doesn't seem real right yeah and I know I know that other athletes there's other things that they do but I just think we were so young we you know if you're an athlete on scholarship all the other athletes that were there obviously the divers weren't at the AIS with yeah. us we know that they're quite young but the swimmers and the rowers and the boxers and the, all of that sort of stuff the athletics guys they were all older than us yeah even and, adults you know and yeah. I know that they they all went through their struggles I've got um, family members who were state and national level swimmers and really really good and they've you know there was stuff going on mm. in their training that wasn't good. And I just think about our age, though. It always came back to that for me. It was like, yeah. wow, we were like 10 yeah. and 11. Yes, and we, <laughs> we were so young and and we had disordered eating, right? Uh, absolutely, Th- yes. There were people who had very clear eating disorders and the eating disorders at the time were like, all we knew of was anorexia and bulimia. Yeah. There was a lot of bulimia in yeah. gymnastics. And one of my closest friends... I recognised that she was um, bulimic very yeah. early on. Yeah, and um, there, were, there were definitely things that I would hear, see, and smell. Smell, yeah. yeah, and then almost just sort of, you, you weren't turning a blind eye, but you were like, oh my god, like, this is extreme. Yeah. I'm glad that's not me. No, and yeah. It's like look at all the behaviours we're participating all the other stuff in. That we were doing, yeah. But it was all there was all there was other stuff too. Like obviously the bulimia that gets led to that, but. There were things that, you know, this disordered eating was making us or them or, you know, us young athletes do. And, you know, like, I remember multiple times, like, watching some of this, uh, like, older girls <laughs> looking at how they were, like, breaking the scales for the mm, day. Yes, breaking you know? the scales. <laughs> and Sit, literally, scissors. Trying to, like, tear, like, and also trying to, like, make it so that... You know when it like whatever weight out? you put, yes, whatever weight you put under the scale I was say that, like, on that little ledge, yep. you could take off the top of the scale. Yeah. But it had to be organised. Yeah. We couldn't we couldn't allow any gaps between the people weighing in. Yeah. We had to remember because it would we go below zero. Yes. Yeah. So if you put two hundred grams under yeah. the scale on the ledge, it would minus two hundred grams. Yeah. So it would start at minus 200. And you'd have to kind of, everyone would have to Catch be on it. there and make sure that they kept ste- <laughs> stepping on the scale while the coach wasn't looking or writing it down. Well, remember that one time, more than one time, an athlete um, cut the scales mm. and so yes. the scales just did yes. not work? And they weren't, yes, I do, I do That's remember. like such desperation, yeah. right? But all of that was fine. And sne- like sneaking, I mean, like we, we were going overseas. So my first ever experience in New Zealand we get on the plane, coach comes down the aisle, you're not allowed to eat that, that and that on this tiny little, you know, meal, plain meals that you get. Yeah. And, you know, you're not allowed the bread roll, you're not allowed the rice, you can have that, you can't have the custard or the jelly or the sweet or whatever it yeah. was. Um, 
And then that led us to sneaking lollies and as much crap as we could, mm. which sometimes we couldn't get away with. We would do jawbreakers. Do you remember the jawbreakers? The gobstoppers. Because yeah. it was like a lolly we could like hide and yet we could just sit there and lick and It'd suck give you on energy. It and it would like but it wouldn't it would put just on be weight. That. Yeah. Mm. It, it, we found the in-between, um, you know. I used to buy breath freshener every week when we were Friday night shopping. Because breath freshener, I'd spray it constantly so I, I wouldn't feel hungry. Because it was like I'd just brushed my teeth. Yeah. And it would stop me from feeling hungry. Like that need to want to have something to yeah. eat as well. And some girls took laxatives like they were lollies. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of stealing. I like, especially, you know, talking about just thinking back when we would travel away, the bickies off the tea bickies, you know, the tea and coffee bickies yeah. off the, the trolleys, we would pinch a lot of that sort of stuff but I know that that actually came back like that was quite prevalent in our day-to-day in the gym like the, I know that there was loads of food stolen from oh, the little swimming down swimming. at swimming yeah people um, would steal whole catering cakes <laughs> and like bo- like boxes like a box like a full box of Mars bars yeah and stuff yep. yeah full boxes because they were starving yeah and like so that those sorts of behaviors you know like hoarding food yeah and I know we'll go into this probably in, in the next podcast, but the effects of that on us as adults yeah, also. Yeah, it didn't just end it, when, it, when we were kids. Exactly. Yeah. Like those sorts of things haven't ended yeah. and gone away and poof, that's, it's, you know, it's all done and dusted. But that, that was very much like just our whole, <laughs> our whole thought process. Everything was just like food, weight. Yeah. I'm hungry. Can I get through training? How much do I weigh? let's find a set of scales so I can see what I weigh you know yeah, on the weekends yeah. when we didn't have access to scales we'd have to run away and we said, remember we used to sneak into the Olympic weightlifting section yes to use their scales to see what we weighed and then we'd put on if we were overweight we'd put on all of our tracksuits and go and run in the sauna like this is how desperate we were yeah. to not be heavy for the coaches yeah and, and look 95 came around and there were investigations into that into um and not only that, but coaches were making gymnasts do that for a long time, yep. um, putting on clothes and going into the sauna. Um, and so there was an investigation into that and it came around that, yes, that was one of the bad habits or whatever. And there was lots of other stuff that came out of that that wasn't really actioned appropriately, but we won't go into that today. Um, so the coaches asking gymnasts to go and do that was stopped. Didn't mean that you guys didn't stop doing that sort of stuff because of the pressure we were under and they're constantly being weighed and you know um, and and that that stuff like in the gym it affected us in the gym in terms of if you hopped on the scales and the coach didn't see uh, didn't like what they saw on the scale the number they saw that affected you in training so you know I was having a crappy day on beam couldn't do my you know acro series it's because you're too heavy yeah and so you started to believe it's because of my body weight that yeah. I can't do what I need to do yeah or yeah like you're struggling to get through your floor routine and your last tumbling roast shit every time yeah bull belly today what did you eat mm. I, I specifically remember the words my coach said to me now this was after I'd come back from the Olympics I had three weeks off first time I'd had three weeks off in years years and years and years and came back and I remember his first thing he said to me was what's your weight Mm. and I'd gone up five kilos right so I was 50 kilos now and he's like 
why you eat so much. Yeah. And I was just like, hang on a second, my body clearly needs this. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't like I went on this like rampant eating thing. I just ate like a normal kid and I haven't trained for three weeks. Of course your body weight's going to go up. And I was 14 or 15 at the, 15 nearly turned, I think I just was just about to turn 15 at the time. And I just, I just think, wow, like, and I, I was so scared to go back to the gym because I was worried about that yeah, exact conversation exactly, and it yeah. went exactly how, and that was just, yeah. Like A similar thing happened to me when I had first quit or they, they, they sent me home. Um, and I started back training and I was wearing t-shirts and tracksuit pants. And Kirstie, I was like 40 kilos and I thought I was massive. And I was so embarrassed. And the first time I wore a leotard in front of anyone was at nationals. And I had worn a tight-fitting leotard underneath and I'd strapped my boobs and my stomach with strapping tape. Wow. To try and pull myself in. I was 40 kilos. Mm. And, and I had this leotard on and I'd had boobs now. Mm. And, and maybe my bottom wasn't flat yeah but the head coach said to me something like wow like you better do something about that bottom she said bum (laughs) and and I it it devastated me and that competition we had four apparatus I fell six times yeah and that was it it's not a very good headspace to go into no already clearly worried about and I was so proud of myself at the time because I'd had come back from fractured back and I'd come back from um, not competing at the Olympics, having this sort of broken heart and broken mm. dreams. And made your way back into the sport. And she, that one comment just devastated me. I went yeah. back home and stopped. Yeah. And that, that was it. Um, it's, it's so... It's... It just blows my mind still to this day thinking about some of the stuff um, and how that, like, our words affect these kids. And, uh, you know, from a coach's point of view, from a parenting point of view, obviously as a parent you think about how you speak to your children. So from that coach's point of view, the importance of what you say and not say to a kid is so huge. And I still think that, you know, there are coaches in Australia who don't recognize that that's really important in gymnastics in Australia. Um, And I think it has to come from those ones who are in the spotlight, those ones who the younger coaches look up to. And we have to be talking about that more. A hundred percent. Because like you said, like that one thing, that yep. one comment. Yeah. And I think back to my coaching days and think, God, what what did I say? Yeah. God, me, I me hope too. I haven't me broken too. someone. Yeah. You know, because the impact of that is lifelong. And um, I think that's a part of like, you know, I stepped away from coaching. I'm not coaching at the moment. I've stepped away from that. And I think some of the reasoning, not all of it, but some of the reasoning behind it was because I was still hearing some of that, mm. a lot sure. of that in, in you know, our state and national level sure. athletes. These aren't elite athletes. These are not Olympic athletes. Yeah. These are the kids who love gymnastics. They should love gymnastics. Mm. And the coaches still speak to them this way. Yeah, I, I really don't think 
coaches understand fully the position they're in and the power mm. they have yeah, over a- children who see them as almost like a god. Here's my goal. You're the specialist that's going to get me there. I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to hang off every word every you say word to you me. Say. doesn't yeah. matter what mum, what, what would mum know? <laughs> You're the one. It's always the case though, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, like I, I've worked in a few different jobs. Like I worked in childcare and I totally remember the parent being like, oh, you know, they don't do this, they don't do that. Never had a problem with their kid at daycare. Yeah. Because they listened to, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. I listened to Miss Kirsty, she was amazing, you know, whatever. <laughs> and the same thing in the gym. Yeah. And so that communication between parents and athletes and coaches is really important because if a parent, and they had have, I've had these um, happen to me, you know, experiences where they've come to me and said, look, I'm really worried. They're mm. not listening to what I'm saying. This is affecting them. You know, how can we work on this together? And so we've done it as a like a group activity you know like and it's not something that I pull the kid out and say oh your mum's pulled me up over this it's something that we I I sort of incorporated into our training and the importance and and why why it's important to do these things but that's because you're a good coach and I think because of what you've gone through you understand that gymnastics lasts a very small amount of time in someone's life you understand that gymnastics can have a bigger impact on their life just than winning a competition And you're creating people, adults, and you're sending them out into the world. And that truly is an absolute privilege and it should not be taken lightly. And you haven't done that. You're such a wonderful coach and you've had such a wonderful impact on so many lives. And I I don't know if the culture of gymnastics would have taught you that. I think from being in the position we were in in the AIS and we were like, we became the coach that we needed. Needed, Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. Like my coaching journey... Um, was very much like obviously monkey see monkey do to start with 100% um, yeah you know and then the last um, years of my coaching was very much I felt like I was always against the grain a little bit like my kids didn't train as much and my kids weren't doing this they're allowed to play other sports my you even encouraged it I wrote letters for them to get scholarships at school so that they could play other sports and be involved in that sort of stuff and um I felt like that wasn't you know the norm of the times um but then it was it has been really nice to see that that is starting you know these things are starting to come out now yeah um and I was always really proud of how I coached on the floor in regards to that. Yeah. And, you know, and you remember the good times and it, there's obviously there'll be a lot of coaches who listen and you always have those athletes that stand out and you have really good relationships with them and stuff. But I always have had to remember and recall in the back, you know, this is what I, this is the what not this is not what I want as yeah, a coach, yeah. you know, and that that definitely came from my experiences. Yeah. Um, as an athlete, it's like, well, I don't want to have to go. <laughs> I don't want my kids to go through that. Yeah. <laughs> and a big part of that too was I I was very privileged to be able to coach my own daughter. Yeah. And I think that made me think twice on what I wanted for her as well. And she yeah. had big dreams and big goals. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that, that helped be able yep. to, to see that and that's maybe where some coaches need to look yeah I, I agree and I do think like when I've asked some of my friends if you could do it all again would you you know was the Olympics worth it the amount of people who've said no mm-hmm. it wasn't worth it 
it just makes you think, what are we doing? Yeah, why? <laughs> what are we doing? Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's taken me a very long time to be proud, to a, in a position to be proud of what I did because there was always underlying there was something underlying for a really really long time. Yeah, and I mean, but it's yeah. all these shameful behaviors, right? All of these yeah. unspoken behaviors yeah. that consumed our lives, and we were so ashamed of them, and it was so secretive. Yeah. We didn't even tell our parents. Yeah, that's right. And it's very hard then to separate what our gymnastics experience was. Because mm. on one hand, it was us pushing our bodies, doing these amazing skills, and you were an Olympian at 14 years of age. What? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and then on the other hand, it was horrifying. Mm. The things that we had to do to be in the team, or to be accepted by the coaches yeah. were something that you don't want to remember. Yeah. And if you don't want to remember the bad things, it's very hard to shine a light on the good things. Yeah, and, 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 and that's right. And so many things are unspoken and hidden and that brings that shame. And so that tone of like the achievements, yeah. it's always going to be there because all of these other things that you're doing that you know you're doing and are not right and going through and yeah. really difficult didn't outweigh the good for sure. And I think that was that was really hard. And you know, I, it's funny because it was just, it's so normalised. It was so normalised in gymnastics. Yeah. Like yeah. this is what gymnasts do. And I think even some of the athletes, like I've heard some of you know athletes who have been on scholarship at the institutes, the other guys, you know, they might have been cyclists at the time or whatever, and they used to drive us to school or do whatever or do the tours you know yeah, they, they, they do tours. the tours so, so that's a way for the um, adult athletes to make some money, money yeah. yeah they would they would work at the AIS and take tours and stuff and they'd be even like oh the, you know the, the gymnasts they were just man they just trained so hard you guys are tough yeah you guys it's are like, really tough it's hor- horrible to think that adults think we're tough yeah it's like what are they <laughs> seeing <laughs> exactly and yeah. then Maybe why are they staying quiet then? Like, is there, yeah. what are you seeing that makes you think we're tough? And that, that was really hard, I think, especially for you. Like, yes, I got to go home and be at home, mm-hmm. so to speak, and away from that. But you were there the whole time with house parents and people who just normalised those behaviours. They all completely normalised the behaviours. And yep. so there was, you didn't, I feel like you guys didn't have anyone in your corner and that just was, yeah, like... Yeah, and, and also, I think a lot of people will ask, like, where was your mum? Where was your dad? Mm, yeah. Why didn't they do anything? And I, there's no way I could have told them what was happening or they would have ripped me out of gymnastics. Yeah. If I'd have told them anything, even just the way we were being spoken to, yeah. they would have pulled me out. Yeah, and same, I, I hid things from mum because one thing would lead to another thing would lead to yes. another and you know I did have moments of reprieve when I really just needed not to go to gym that day and she would call up and say I was sick and it would be like well she's got to be here in the afternoon and you know it didn't didn't matter if you were sick or not like if you were genuinely sick you had to be at training yeah I never remember having a, a session off no and I, and and so 
I had a little bit of that reprieve with mum being at home, whereas yeah. you guys didn't have that. It was like, oh, well, too bad. Go to the doctor. You went to the doctor before or after training. Yeah. <laughs> you still went to training. It didn't matter what yeah. you had. Even if the doctor said you got glandular fever three months S- off. <laughs> sorry. It's, it's, you're still going to training. Um, yeah, so it was just – it was very, very um, – Tough, like tough tough is a word but I think it, it it was a time in our lives when very much a lot of conflict like we yeah. want to be there we don't yeah. want to you know jeopardize our position and yet we knew what we had to do and it was we kept it secret what we were doing because everyone else was like wow like you know you're on scholarship this is really amazing yeah you've got all these opportunities yes we do but we're doing this to keep ourselves yeah, above water. Exactly. So know. the reality of what we were achieving was horrifying. And mm. and if if we're going to look at words, it was abusive. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we used to laugh about it until we realised we were laughing about abuse. Yeah. And I think some people will maybe think about this and go, well, I don't know if it was abusive like what happened to them and their journeys and their stories and other people it hopefully might trigger you to look a bit deeper and maybe be able to go back and explore like we have and and that's been our journey for the last sort of three four years now yeah has been actually instead of us talking about it and joking and laughing we were put in a situation where we got to actually write our story and then all this stuff suffer the consequences <laughs> <laughs> all this stuff happened and most of it was good stuff you know in the end this has well, been it has been good but it was hard it's right? been very very hard yeah very hard um and but... and we've been working with specialists um to help us get through yeah these and, and issues taking, yeah but we've been we've had access to lots of different resources that yeah. we didn't have before didn't have the confidence before yeah. Um, which has been really good. Um, but I guess like that's, I guess, coming back to why we want to do these, why we want to tell you these stories and yeah, exactly. and talk about it is because if it can help someone move forward or, you know, um, look at their story or make a change in gymnastics and sport, <laughs> that would be amazing. Like Yeah, I think you if, know. for sure. And I think you, you touched on it already, but... Our fellow gymnasts who think um, there's something wrong with them now. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, no, you're right. It's I know I know what you mean. It's there's it's not them. It's not them exactly. It's not you. It's it's not your fault. There are reasons behind this. Yeah, and, and there is help. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is help out there, that's right. And it's not something that's not spoken about anymore and it's not something that's, you know, shameful. It's actually time for you to to be aware that it's okay to talk about this stuff yeah. um, and it, it's okay to seek help for yeah, it as exactly. well. Yeah, exactly, because the people that have been involved in the process and the process we're talking about is, we touched on it last time, there was some gymnasts that spoke out. Then there were so many that there was a human rights... The Human Rights Commission yep. did an investigation and a report. Mm-hmm. 
and then some gymnasts were involved in um, a lawsuit against the Australian government or the Australian Sports Commission. Yeah, it's through that process that we've learned that there are a number of patterns that have shown up for a lot of people mm. because of what we went through as a gymnast, and those things are, you know, chronic anxiety, PTSD. There's e- eating, eating disorders, disorders. <laughs> um, and and so many issues, and, and people more. on people on being on medication since they were young. Yeah. Um, to deal with mental health issues and and so we want to we want to bring it out into the light that it is hard and it is hard to face these things it's it's hard because you have to be really honest with yourself yeah and because it is nice to think well i went to the olympics like i should just be thankful that's exactly what i was just going to say is i think for so many years i was like you know, I should be thankful. I went to the Olympics. My Olympic experience, whilst it was great, it wasn't... I've often said this, and I've said this to you many times, I wish I could have done it all over again as an adult. Why would I say that? Because the experience that I had as a child, there were so many things that tainted that experience. Yeah. And Do you think, though, if you experience it as an adult, which some of my friends have, one of my closest friends, right? Yeah. As an adult, horrifying experience. Still. As a gymnast, yeah. yeah. But maybe as in a different sport. Right. <laughs> <laughs> a gymnast, yes, absolutely. Because um, it's, it's really hard for me to hear that, that you went to the Olympics, you competed in the Olympics, and it, and it wasn't worth it. it. Some of it wasn't worth yeah, it, right? Yeah, so, some of the experiences weren't great. Because I didn't compete great. at the Olympics. Yeah. And, and it, of course that wasn't worth it. Yeah. Absolutely. But I always think if I just had gotten to the Olympics, um, I was almost so close. <laughs> you I watched so, you from the you stairs. Were so close. <laughs> um, and, and yes, like I do, there are definitely moments where I am so grateful that I just got there. Like, you, do you know what I mean? And I'm so grateful that no one can take that away from yeah, me. You yeah. know, it's, you know, they always say it once an Olympian, always an Olympian. And it's devastating when I think back to that time where we saw each other in the stands and we were crying and we didn't really know what we were crying about. And, you know, looking back at that 30, 40 years later. I was crying, not because I was happy for you, by the way. I was crying because I was really sad for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I was crying because I didn't know why the hell you weren't there (laughs) with me. And I was like, I'm so sad that you're not here with me because you're like my best mate. And it just, you know, I think the experience that I had was tainted slightly from that as well, you know, and all the the things that led up to that. But, um, yeah, I feel like... It it is just hard for, for me to hear... That, and there would be a lot of gymnasts in my situation where the goal was the Olympics, you didn't go to the Olympics, so it just wasn't worth it. But the goal was the Olympics for you, you went to the Olympics and, and another one of my friends went to the Olympics, very successful gymnast, definitely not worth it. Yeah. Um, and it just, it's, it opens my eyes to think the sport needs to change. There is change and there are some great coaches doing yeah. some awesome things. But for that to happen... Yeah, your Olympic experience should be incredibly amazing and you know yeah the journey there the hard work it's always going to be there and, and like the hard work was great that's, right that's what I was going to when say we like we love that <laughs> we love that <laughs> exactly that, that's that was a part of the 
you know, you, why you want to go get it because you, yeah. you know, you can push yourself, you can work hard. And we loved being pushed. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, um, you know, moving forward in terms of why, why we, um, what am I trying to say? I guess is, you know, why we wanted to talk about this yeah. sort of stuff was because yes, there are changes um, happening. Um, but the more that we're honest and open with you guys about where we've come from yep. and and the journey that we've been on and all of that sort of stuff, as coaches, as gymnasts, as parents, I think it's just hopefully can help even just one person. I'd be so thankful for that because yes, going into that Human Rights Commission, that was all that I wanted as well, was I wanted to be able to have a bit more of a voice. Yes. And I've... I want to have more of a voice and I want to help gymnastics move forward. Um, And at the moment, this is my way of doing that, that that I can handle at the moment. (laughs) And I think it also helps us to heal, right? Yeah. To talk about the big boogeyman, you know, (laughs) to bring it out into light. And and we laugh a a lot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Even at things we maybe shouldn't be laughing at, but because, you know, they're not so funny. But... um, I think it helps us and to talk and to talk openly and share with each other. Yeah. Imagine being friends for 30 years and not talking about most of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we were. We've, yeah. been, we've been there. <laughs> That's us. <laughs> That's us. Yeah. So we can see there, are, you know, Gymnastics Australia is by all means making some headway and, and moving forward. I think there's, yeah, there's new have- things on on board with coach education there is and um i think that's a wonderful step in introducing education around um what you can and can't say to gymnasts about Mm. their body which basically you don't say a thing yeah um which is good i you know obviously hopefully that grows and that becomes a little bit more in depth over the years or there's more focus and exactly and also seeing ingrained in the culture of gymnastics is really where it needs to and we won't know that unless we're asking the gymnasts we will not know how successful any of this is unless we're surveying gymnasts regularly yeah without consequence for the gymnasts exactly it needs to be something that they're comfortable to do um, yeah, and ask them. Exactly. And Gymnastics right. Australia have a have um, a really important, I think, partnership with the Butterfly Foundation. Oh, that is so good. They're yeah. eating disorder specialists mm-hmm. and have been guided through, um, it seems like their policies have been based off of what the um, Butterfly Foundation have recommended. Yeah. Um, which is wonderful. That's awesome. And yeah, that's really good to hear. And those resources are out there for everyone, I guess, as well. Yeah. Um, so obviously, if there's anything that's triggered you today or you need to seek some help please don't be afraid to ask for help um and you know there's loads of places out there these days which is really good um so make sure that you yeah go and get that help and i know it's scary it's a a huge big fat scary step but it's really important to do um and i guess you know our next episode if we can pull one together and you don't delete this one (laughs) <laughs> lol oh, no. I'm never no. going to live it down <laughs> no pressure we are looking I guess at the effects that it's had on us as adults right yeah, yeah. so like all of this stuff that we spoke about today the the day to day stuff that we um, you know went through and, and where that kind of led us and where that's led us years down the track <laughs> yeah because I think it's important for parents to know 
yeah. gymnasts to know and coaches to understand how their words affect people, can affect people, not just in the short term. Yeah. But these things can be with them for their entire lives. Yep. And so we're going to share... Oh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this episode. How these behaviours and coaches' words and the behaviours we sort of implemented yeah. as a young child, how they've affected us as later on at later on in life teenagers 20s 30s and now um dare to say it 40s. into our 40s uh, uh. Um. <laughs> we're young 40s right oh i'd that's, like to think so that's, that's good enough right yeah <laughs> yeah so that, that's going to be episode number three thank you all so much for listening guys um Again, another shout out to everyone who downloaded or like, yeah, liked it, it, it and wasn't listened. just Mum and Bridie. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it was more than two. We, yeah, just super excited. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like to hear more, you can find us on Spotify, where you can search for Through Thick and Three Decades, or check out our Facebook pages for updates, where you can ask any questions or make suggestions for future podcasts.